DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to be joined by Bishop Donald Hine, who is the Bishop of Madison, Wisconsin. After his ordination to the priesthood in 1989, he served in several parishes in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee and a parish in the Dominican Republic. From 2005 to 2011, he worked at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee, first as the Dean of Formation and then as the Rector. Pope Benedict appointed him Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee in 2011 and a Bishop of the Diocese of Gary, Indiana in 2015. With Bishop Donald Hine, we go inside the pages of Love Never Fails, Living the Catholic Faith in Our Daily Lives, published by Ignatius Press. Your Excellency, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you so much, Chris. It's an honor to be with you today. I have to say, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you for Love Never Fails. As you can see, it's completely marked up, and I won't even show you all the pencil and lined. Um, what a wonderful book. So pastoral. Uh, it, what, what brought you to compile this and to offer it us as a gift? It's actually a, a, an amusing narrative. So the book is actually a compilation of my newspaper columns mm-hmm. written over the course of years. And a friend of mine sent them off to Ignatius Press, told me that he had done so, and I just kind of forgot about it. And then uh, six months later, I got a letter saying, your manuscript's been accepted. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, what, what manuscript? <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that that's the book. It's It's a compilation. So each little chapter is really a newspaper column. So for that reason, it's um, kind of a smorgasbord of reflections on different topics, but mostly focused on just the practicality of living our Catholic faith in the seemingly ordinary day-to-day. Well, I think your friend is now a spiritual friend of the rest of us. Uh, (laughs) I'll tell him that. Yeah, please do, because this is again, I just want to keep holding it up and, and giving everybody the name Love Never Fails Living the Catholic Faith in Our Daily Lives. It's a real testament, Your Excellency, to the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to communicate something. And even just those small segments that were once newspaper articles or uh, features, but are really something that we can take if, if you just took one every day uh, to sit and contemplate with. Yeah, I think it's you know, it's nothing theologically deep beyond anyone's grasp, yet I like to think there's enough substance there just to kind of feed a soul, you know, on a regular basis, right? I think we need um, to be reminded of the essential truths of our faith over and over, and also just some, I guess, practical methodology of how to apply it in our life, right? Right. I mean, just how do, how do we live this day to day, you know, all of this? Well, what I, what I found compelling about it is, and I hope you'll forgive me. I, I'm not trying to be too bold here by by saying this, but it really sounds like uh, this is what another bishop in Geneva would have done, or what he did do uh, all those years ago. And I'm speaking, of course, of uh, Saint Francis de Sales. That's it, what you did here, and what you're doing on your Facebook page, by the way. I, you know, I, one of the reasons why I grabbed the book and looked at it is because I've been listening to your reflections. Your your short moments that you give everybody and i had to read this because that's that's how it's done isn't it well it's very kind of you i I am a great 
aficionado of St. Francis de Sales. So, I mean, he would be the sun. I would be a little piece of sand on the shore compared to him. But yeah, I think he realized the necessity of making the faith simple, mm -hmm. St. Francis de Sales, and yet articulating it with great love and charity. And so I always say that, you know, love without truth becomes empty, vacuous, sentimental. Truth without love can become harsh, rigid, judgmental. When you fuse the two together, when you put those two together, you've got Jesus, you've got the gospel, you've got, you know, the, the power of our faith. And yeah, I, I think that's something we need to be reminded of, especially today in this very uh, divided environment that we find ourselves in, you know, within the church, within our country, you know, within the world. And he did too. I mean, he couldn't even enter into his own diocese without fear of being killed by mm -hmm. the Calvinists. So for him to maintain his charitable heart, even towards those trying to kill him, um, is a testimony not only to his wisdom, but also to his virtue. Yeah, when you think about his time period, it, it is in that period in France where they had just really gone through those religious wars. They literally mm -hmm. called them religious wars. Mm -hmm. And it, it says something about our time today, because in a real way, unfortunately for the layperson, and uh, with the use of new media, it has become, in some sense, religious wars. And yeah, there absolutely. are victims, souls all over because of the of the conflicts from some who are not speaking in that charity as you've described. Right. No, with social media, anyone has a platform and they can say anything. And a lot of it is calumny and uh, divisive and really from the, the spirit of the evil one, even I would say. Right. Right. That's that's the moment we find ourselves in. So how important it is to stay centered in Jesus and to stay centered in, in the truth, but truth always rooted in, in, in love itself. Right. Right. I'm going to, uh, it, I don't know if it's stealing, if I ask your permission, but there you is a line. <laughs> there is you a can line. do anything you want. No, what <laughs> we it, stole all of it from somewhere else. So. Well, I don't know. There's that gem in there where you talk about, you have to take a Keros minute. And I had never thought of the, you know, the daily, like a daily contemplation or whatever, mm -hmm. however you want to term it. But you've, you, you broadened it out. You broadened mm -hmm. it out and you used that, that great sense of Kairos. I, I don't think we have, a, I, don't, I don't think most people, and I know myself for the longest time, I didn't even understand what that was. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk yeah, to people really, about that? I would. I talk about it often because I think it's significant. So the ancient Greeks had two words for time. One was chronos, one was keros, as you said. And chronos is chronology, you know, calendars, appointments, schedules. You know, chronos time is when you've been at the office or at school seemingly for hours and you look at the clock and it's 9.17. <laughs> chronos time can hang heavy on us sometimes. Keros time is when we've been engaged in something for five hours and it feels like five minutes because we've been taken out of ourselves. So you know, we could say it's a moment of transcendence, a, a moment of of grace, where really a moment of experiencing God, you know, so whether it's the sacraments or prayer or being out in the beauty of nature or a moment of forgiveness or just deep communion with another person. But it's, it's those moments when we kind of step outside of time and realize that the Lord wants to plunge us into the timelessness of his love for us. And that's why I think the Eucharist is so powerful, because when we go to Mass, 
we step from the chronos of this world into the Kairos of God's time. You know, we step into the vast, beautiful world of the resurrection. I know I'm always struck by the fact that Archbishop Lestecki of Milwaukee, who ordained me a bishop, um, always takes his watch off at the beginning of mass as kind of a symbolic reminder to himself that you know, he's stepping out of Kronos time, he's stepping into God's time. And that the mass then becomes our, our participation in the timelessness of eternity. But God drops those precious gifts of eternity into our hearts, you know, if we have the grace to receive them. Mm. Well, allowing that grace to be received by us, I think it is very much a continual message that you have through all your writings, for everything that you, you put through here, because this is so obviously, again, forgive, forgive me if I'm being presumptuous, but it sure sounds like a contemplative wrote this book. Even, even a contemplative can write news articles that can be found in a diocesan newspaper that can help people enter into that carols. And we let that grace sometimes pass us by, don't we, Your Excellency? Because life is so busy and frenzied and, you know, we're so worried about so many things. And I think that's why prayer is so difficult for us, including me, is really to live, to embrace prayers, to live in the present moment. And Carol's moments are really just being fully engaged in the present. And that's why one of my favorite books is Abandonment to Divine Providence mm. by Jean-Pierre Cassad. And he speaks of the sacrament of the present moment. And he says, if God is present in the present moment, if God's will is manifest to us in the present moment. So right now, God's will for me is to be speaking with you. And this is only going to happen once. This will never, this conversation today will never happen again. So how tragic if my mind was somewhere else, if I wasn't fully engaged in this, because I'd miss out on the grace of, of this conversation and of this moment. And I think, you know, 99% of the time, the present moment is perfect. You know, so if I'm angry, sad, anxious, afraid, regretful, it's because I've either gone to the future or the past. And I think in prayer, all of that comes crowding in on us and we need to you know, keep pushing it back in order to find that sacred space where contemplation can happen. So when I go on a retreat, I think it takes at least 48 hours just to work some of the craziness out of my head you know, before I can even begin to pray because we're just so frenzied and overstimulated in our culture, you know, so to turn off the television, to turn off your phone is probably two of the most sacred acts that we can perform for our own salvation and sanity, I think. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And how difficult I think it was, particularly during the period of the pandemic, mm -hmm. where you had to communicate that to your, your faithful, who had to be disseminated. Essentially, you didn't have that for at least a, a period of time, the opportunity for them to gather at least once a week. And, and trying to to shepherd those sheep right now, I mean, that must be, I don't know how you do it without grace, Your Excellency. Yeah, it's a challenge, you know, and as you know, there's people all across the spectrum in terms of their reaction to, to COVID and, and to the vaccines. But yet so many people have powerfully spoken with me about the graces they've found in these past 14 months, you know, to, to slow down, to be compelled to spend significant time with their family, with their spouse, to not be running around. Um, 
so there there were terrible crosses you know the deprivation of of the, of the sacraments and just you know the isolation and the despair in some cases and certainly the the people that suffered and and died from it primarily but um there were graces for people as well you know that they didn't have to go to five sporting events every week um you know, they didn't have to run around to every social event, but just being home and being forced to slow down sure. was a tremendous blessing for many. Well, Your Excellency, one of the, the beautiful portions in the book, it all is wonderful. I mean, there's a section in which they grouped a number of your writings under God's love for us as sacramental and personal. And then there is the God's love is revealed through service. And what I found uh, and, and then there are several other sections after that. But in that one, it stopped me for a moment because when I opened it, I expected to hear about how we need to go serve the poor, which we've been called to do, to clothe the naked, to, to, to feed the hungry, to welcome the stranger, all of those things. And yet what you pointed us is first, you have to meet him in prayer. You have to, uh, to listen deeply. And then to respond, in, just like you said, where you're at. And that paradigm, it, I don't know if we hear it enough. you got to start there first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe if we are going to serve the poor with authenticity, we can only come to them deeply aware of our own poverty. Mm -hmm. So it can't be, you know, I'm coming as Father Beneficent to you know, bestow my gifts on the poor, and I expect them to be properly grateful. It has to be the stance of, I discover my own poverty, my own weakness before God. So it's as, it's as a sinner, it's as a poor one that I can go to the poor and that you know, we can love each other in our poverty and yet discovering the, the fullness of God's riches precisely in our sense of being emptied out. You know, so if I'm faithful to prayer, that's going to empty me out. And then then perhaps I can go to the poor with uh, a stance of humility and um, you know, proper compassion. Yeah, and, and to be able to receive him through them. Right. I mean, and sometimes that requires your heart. To, if, when you really encounter the poor in your, your service, as you said, you, you want to go down and you're going to give to them. You end up finding that they give you so much more back. It breaks your heart. I mean, it literally yeah. breaks it open, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the poor evangelize us. I think that's what all the saints discovered, right? I was blessed to do four years of mission work in the Dominican Republic, and our parish was 27 villages spread out over about 40 square miles. And people, they were essentially subsistence farmers. Mm -hmm. And I'd say my first year there, I almost couldn't see them because I was so blinded by their material poverty. And then after that, the rest of my time there, I could no longer see their material poverty because I was so blinded by their spiritual richness. And you know, that transformation within me was astounding. And I also came to a point of, you know, it's interesting to live as a minority because I was probably one of two white people within a hundred square miles. And there comes a point where you simply want to fit in. You're, you're tired of being different. So it helped me understand the minorities here in our own society at times. But but I realized that my poverty was that I could not be anybody other than who I was. Right. And their poverty was that they were who they were. And yet 
we're exactly the people God created us to be. So what we see as poverty and limitation is actually the, the, the frame or the earthen vessel into which God pours his glory. So it's like you move from this stance of limitation and poverty to realizing, you know, the unconditional love of God. And he loves us precisely in our individuality and specificity. If any of that makes sense, I don't know. Oh, sure. I mean, in what you do, Your Excellency, if you don't mind me saying this, I mean, even in that, that beginning chapter is when you're talking about the sacraments, you have in that, even in those few paragraphs, have broken open the importance of what happens at baptism. Hmm. And I wonder, I wonder um, if we have uh, learned to catechize or have formed people to help them understand what exactly happens at baptism and how that's just yeah. the beginning. It's not right. It's not that graduation. It is just the right. beginning of something extraordinary. No, I, th- I think we, we constantly need to catechize on that. And you know, the beauty of it is that uh, in baptism, we become by adoption who Jesus is by nature. So when you think, you know, the, Jesus holds nothing back from us. So even his relationship with the father as son, he shares with us through baptism so that we are invited to step into the mystery of the Trinity through the son to have communion with father, son, and Holy spirit. And that in baptism, then we become beloved children of God. So when somebody says to me, I don't need to go to church to be a good person. I always say, you're right. You don't, you know, there's many people better than me that don't go to church. But that implies that our religion is fundamentally about ethics, you know, about what we do. But it's primarily, and first of all, about who we become in Christ. And what we do flows from that becoming. So if it's just about being a good person, well, I mean, who needs the church, you know, to be, you know, a good person as society would define it at least. But but I need the church if I'm going to become a child of God. So I think we don't catechize on that enough. You know, just that whole ontology being question, you know, who do, who do I become in the Lord? So I always say our deepest identity is that we are children of the Father, purchased with the precious blood of Christ, anointed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's deeply who we are. So I always joke, next time you're at a party and somebody asks, who are you? Just say, I'm a son of the Father. I've been purchased with the blood of Christ. I'm anointed in the Holy Spirit. That's who I am. And you know, watch them run for cover. Because <laughs> um, I think that would kind of take people by surprise if we just said, "That's this is this is me, right? Okay, now when I steal that again from you, it's not stealing. I've already <laughs> no, got permission. Okay, great. great. We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming. Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts.
A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Inside the Pages. What I found in Love Never Fails, it, it, I, I had it so marked up. I mean, it's perfect, I think, for someone, as odd as it may sound, if you're going on a retreat, hmm. um, just to take sections of it. And I, I have a sense that you kind of, even in what you, it, even though it was kind of a surprise to you that this was brought forward, the Holy Spirit wasn't going to be denied here. He wanted this out. But uh, that it flows from all those years, too, that you were at the seminary. And you were encountering those hearts that were hearing a calling, but maybe struggling with what exactly, what that word, capital W, word, was saying to them. Right. Yeah, it's it was a gift. It was a gift to be in the seminary as a seminarian, but then to go back. I went back to the same seminary where I went as mm -hmm. first um, dean of formation and then rector. And it was St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee. So here comes St. Francis de Sales again. But yeah, just to to walk with uh, young men who are pondering the mystery of God's call in their life, and you realize both the beauty of its clarity and its constancy, but also the the unique form that, that takes in every human heart and, you know, the resistance to it, the, the mystery of it, the, the, the wonder of it really. And then to come to that moment of surrender where uh, a man you know, surrenders to that call and, and you see that in religious life, you see it in marriage, you know, where you, we come to the conviction, yes, this is what God is asking of me. And this is the only thing that will fulfill me because this is God's plan and purpose for me. So to live with the conviction that God has a specific dream, a specific vocation, a specific plan for each one of our lives. And the drama of each life is, you know, are we going to discover what that is and how is it going to turn out? You know, and that's, that's the mystery and the drama, I think, of every human life. You know, uh, what I was so struck by, Your Excellency, was that throughout the pages of this book and through the, uh, essentially, it's not, it's, it's just the means of a very important message that it, the message is to have that joy and that faith and to, to share it with others. 
And maybe in some ways we're failing in that because so much in our society, we can have, we may understand what faith is. Mm -hmm. I know what I believe. And I understand love. I need to love my neighbor. Mm -hmm. But hope, you know, I think there's so much right now that is trying to to, uh, veil or cloak or rob us maybe even Mm -hmm. of hope. And I don't even think we're, we realize it's being taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's why you know, I think despair is, is the greatest failing because if we've given up hope, then in essence, we've given up on God and ourselves. So hope is the, is the conviction of things not seen, as, as Hebrews says. And I often, when I feel dispirited or disheartened or, just tired. I try to place myself, imagine myself, if by God's mercy I get to heaven, you know, to, to stand in the glory of God forever, forever and ever. And that, you know, this, this current moment of affliction, as St. Paul says in Romans, is simply a means by which God's glory is going to be made manifest. And it's so counterintuitive because we can be so easily defeated today, you know, so easily defeated by criticism by um, suffering, by, you know, the loss of a job, by a death of a loved one, we can become so disheartened that we want to give up. And it's in those moments, I think, we need to place ourselves in heaven and to realize the most difficult crosses in our lives will end up being the source of greatest graces and blessings for us. If we could just see the whole panorama of our lives from the back end. So that's what I try to think of when um, I'm tempted to give up hope is that God has already won the victory. So it's just a matter of us participating in that and trusting that um, if God wins out in the end, we've read the book of Revelation. And the other thing is, and this is hard to explain to people, I think when they're deep in suffering, you know, the mystery of God's passive will you know, so theologically, we would say God does not will evil. God does not will bad things, but he allows them to be. So if he allows them to be, then somehow they must be for a greater good. And I just need to learn to trust that and to believe that. Um, yeah, that we, we do need hope today, but hope is only rooted in faith because optimism is just kind of this naive thought that somehow things are going to automatically get better. And when they don't, optimism just is crushed. Hope can look the darkest night in the face and know that that the Son of God is going to win. So when I think of hope, I think of Mary at the foot of the cross. You're rooted to that spot of suffering, standing there as a solitary sentinel of the hope of the dawn, you know, that that somehow God was going to bring about resurrection and life from the horrible death of her son. So Mary, I think, is, is, the, is the sign of hope for us, that even in the darkest of nights, we, we can face um, the most terrible things with, with uh, serenity because we know that, that God has won the victory. Yeah, you brought up such a great word, trust. And it's so difficult to trust if you haven't, if you don't know you don't know him. I mean, you haven't seen right. the face of the Lord. And you, again, so beautifully, as I, I've used that word, I don't know what, it's beauty. I, I, that's what I found in this book. Tons of beauty. And love never fails. Because 
unless you stop and you listen and you encounter and you take those, as you call them, Kairos moments, uh, how, how can you hope in someone you've never really truly met? No, that's true. How do you trust someone that you don't know, right? Exactly. Yeah, so faith is trust, and I can only trust if I if I know. And perhaps that's why faith is difficult for many, you know, that um, it all seems like a beautiful idea, or it seems too beautiful to be true or too good to be true. Um, and that's where we come in, because I think we're called to be credible witnesses to the reality of Christ in our life. And you know, that's what evangelization is about. How can I manifest to others this Jesus who I have come to know as the source of my salvation and the, the reason for my hope. Yeah, you brought up that incredible story of Mother Teresa mm. and her example of one who isn't always feeling the warm fuzzies. I mean, we want that so much in our prayer. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Who doesn't mm -hmm. desire right. to always feel something? Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, we're not always going to. Yeah, and the question is, what do we what do we do, Chris, when we don't feel it? And I think the human temptation is to give up on prayer. It's like this isn't working anymore. To give up on the practice of the faith, and yet that's precisely where faith and prayer kick in when we don't feel anything. So I I, I think Mother Teresa in her dark night of the soul, but all the saints. You, know, you think of Saint Therese, you think of Teresa of Avila, you think of John of the Cross. Um, so many of the saints went through that kind of crucible of the dark night whereby God purified their, their love for him. So when we're in the dark night, I think we need to remember, this is a moment when God is inviting me to become more spiritually mature. You know, I always hear God saying to me, if you want to stay in your playpen and play with the toys, that's fine. <laughs> but, but I want to take the toys away so that you grow up and step out of the playpen. So, I mean, spiritual maturity lies in... Um, being faithful to prayer, being faithful to the practice of faith, not despite feeling nothing, but exactly because sometimes we feel nothing, because it's so much deeper than feelings. It's so much deeper than thought. Um, so to do the right thing when you seemingly get nothing out of it, I mean, isn't that the, the highest form of altruism in a sense? You know, I'm getting nothing here, but I just keep giving. And that's kind of the kenosis of Jesus, you know, this this radical self-emptying, even to the point of the cross. I love it. I, that's exactly what we need to hear, I think. I'm just, it's only because I'm older and I knew what I needed. To, I wish I would have heard back in those days when um, we're probably peers in a very real way, uh, age-wise. And, um, you know, we were J2, JP2 kids. We were the JP2 kids. Well, right. here we are now. And mm -hmm. and I look back and I wished I would have heard that more, you know, uh, in those struggles. And that's what we would want to communicate to others today, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that I think sometimes faith is sold, you know, when you, I think of some of the tele-evangelists, it's kind of like, you know, if you practice faith, you're going to become wealthy, you know, you're going to have this worldly success. And I don't see that anywhere in the gospel. <laughs> no. In fact, I think when you read the lives of the saints, they suffered more because of their faith, not less. So it isn't like faith is going to somehow magically protect us from suffering. It's going to plunge us into suffering, but it's going to give us a, a way to understand that suffering in a supernatural um, vision that's going to transform it for us. And I can suffer 
if I have meaning and purpose in it. I think many people resist suffering because they see no meaning in it. It's hard even with meaning. It's impossible without, I think. Isn't that the crazy thing? That there's actually th- that that element of joy, that there's joy in suffering. I'm not talking about a uh, euphoric happiness or a glee. Mm-hmm. That, w- that mm-hmm. would have to, you better take that to your spiritual director. <laughs> but um, it, that, that joy that mm-hmm. even St. Therese mm-hmm. so exemplified in the suffering, of the, it, it, it transforms it, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a hard school, but I think um, a line from St. Margaret Mary sticks with me. She said, every time a humiliation, a setback, or a cross comes your way, get down on your knees and thank the Sacred Heart of Jesus for sending you such a precious gift and considering you worthy of it. And that's so counterintuitive to everything, because when I'm suffering, when I'm maligned, you know, when somebody, in my opinion, unfairly attacks me, my, my first response is either fight or flight. And, you know, St. Margaret Mary reminds us that neither one of those is the appropriate response. The, the true response is just to, to thank the Lord and to embrace it. Um, you know, that's, that's a hard place to get to, but it, even if we have fleeting moments of it, it gives us the hope of perseverance. I think your excellency, first, thank you so much for your time, but I also want to thank you for that, again, that, that very last story the book where you talk about just that in the death of your young brother mm-hmm. and how even in that something you you can see the greater good right. is that a fair way of saying that yeah very much so so if you haven't read the book my brother patrick who was born on uh, saint patrick's day in 50, 1959 died of cancer 10 years later in 1969 and i was six he was 10 and i just want to share this story, Chris, it's not in the book. Mm -hmm. About 10 years ago, I'm at a wedding reception in Milwaukee. And this man I'd never met comes up to me and says, did you live on 92nd Street in West Dallas? I said, yes. Mm -hmm. Did you have a brother, Patrick, who died of cancer in fifth grade? And I said, yes. And he said, I was a classmate of your brother. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, all of these years, I have prayed to him. And he has been this powerful intercessor for me. And like my hair was just standing on end because here's somebody I'd never met who's telling me that, you know, my dead brother was his greatest benefactor. So. Wow. That's hope. Mm-hmm. You know, that's and all those things. Oh, your excellency. I could talk and listen to you all day, but I get to, because I can go to Facebook and where, you know, people I encourage people to sign up and just go up into that corner in the Facebook page and make sure you this is one of your favorites and it comes up every day. I know you didn't you're not asking to push that, but I think it's a gift and to pick up a copy of Love Never Fails. You'll do like I do. You'll walk around. It's going to become a friend. I hope you I hope your friend grabs more things that you think are just toss up, you know, (laughs) toss aways. That's great. Thank you. you know. This was wonderful, Chris. It's such an honor to be with you. And what a wonderful um, person you are in terms of you made this so easy for me. Thank you. Well, you you laid the groundwork because you made mm-hmm. it easy for all of us. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Your Excellency. Oh, May we ask for a blessing? Me. Sure. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Heavenly Father, we ask that you pour forth your Holy Spirit upon us, that our hearts may constantly be moved to embrace the mystery of Jesus crucified and risen, and to know your infinite, perfect love for us. And we ask this blessing, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I appreciate it it so much. It's pure joy. Thank you. With Bishop Donald Hine, we've gone inside the pages of Love Never Fails, Living the Catholic Faith in Our Daily Lives. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to Ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com, or you can find it in the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.